to CRT2. The Backlash Against Critical Race Theory in France, Part 2. A conversation with Professor Sylvie Laurent. Quelle ambiance, quel bonheur d'être ici devant vous à Villepinte. Merci vraiment, merci du fond du cœur. We are so happy to have Professor Sylvie Laurent here with us today. She's a historian specialized in American and African American studies, and she's a professor at Sciences Po Paris and an associate researcher at Harvard University. She's considered among the experts in France on everything related to American politics, and her perspective on current events in the US is highly sought after by the French media. In your book, Poor Little White Man, you address how the stock story of a supposed dispossession of white power and wealth by minorities, notably brown and black people, mobilized the support of white voters for Trump. Do you think that there are any connections to the current presidential election in France and Eric Zemmour? Thinking about um, the connection between uh, the narrative which I unpacked in my book, the book you, you talked about, about this idea of legitimate white citizens being threatened by a desire coming from minorities to take over resonates definitely with the current uh, debate in France. Actually, a couple of days ago, Eric Zemmour gave a mass meeting uh, in France. And also, although we want to take with a pinch of salt uh, the idea that it was a huge, massive meeting as though the guy is the new, you know, new kid on the block. So, so there's a lot of things to Uh, to mitigate here, but during is 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 one of the many um, mantras he articulated. He talked about the fact that French people felt dispossessed, and I had kind of a ha ha moment, as though the guy had actually read my book and took from my book this idea of white folks feeling a sense of dispossession. What's interesting with dispossession is the fact that it's not something only that you lost, right? So the idea of a lost paradise or a lost, a lost greatness or the idea that it was better before is, is a trope of any right-wing populist. The idea of a form of nostalgia, it harks back to the colonial era. But dispossession rings a rather different tune. Dispossession entails that someone took something away from you, right? That you've been given a raw deal, that, that you've been unfairly treated. And I think we could, we could draw connections between the narrative put forth by Trump supporters or, or, or the Trump team and beyond Trump, uh, the Republican Party for the past 30 years, along the lines of white people becoming the new minority and the great replacement theory that, that Zimor is, is pushing for. So there are echoes undeniably between the two, uh, the two narratives. And the main common ground is the idea 
that undeserving minorities are taking over uh, uh, things that legitimately belong to to the dominant and the dominant majority. Professor, is that something that you think Zemmour took directly from Trump as a playbook, or do you think both men have kind of taken that political weaponization of whiteness from a more larger theoretical basis? Well, that's interesting. Um, Journalists are currently trying to pull out the different genesis of the Morris discourse. But I would argue that this guy is pretty much a one of a kind. You have this Jewish, not African immigrant uh, channeling the anti-Semitic, anti-Islamic uh, 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 party in France, uh, um, equating De Gaulle uh, with Pétain. So, so, so it, it's really a mixed bag of, of crazy ideas, which I think has no equivalent. Uh, um, this being said, the guy is probably probably smart. So he read his, his, his Trumpism book. He witnessed the degree of success and the performances of Donald Trump. Um, he probably also picked up on Bolsonaro, on, on Polish uh, uh, and, and, and Scandinavian far-right populist. And so trying to emulate the best of them. And to some degree, the idea of, of victimhood is probably what, 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 what manifests with the most saliency. The idea that we are under threat, that those who are allegedly the victims, women, gay, people of color, are actually the oppressors. This kind of flip side is, 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 is interesting because we've seen it through the discourses of all these uh, populists, although I don't really like that term, the, let's say the right-wing ideologues that have uh, taken power over the last 10 or 15 years. In a recent interview last, uh, last April, Macron and continue to emphasize that he really stressed the importance of distinguishing French history and U.S. history. And could you explain maybe where this French fear of an imported problem uh, and Americanization of the French political debate stems from? I think it's as French as, as I don't know, what would be the French apple pie? That would be as French as Clafouti. Uh, I could I could try that one. Um, you know that's funny. The same people who are constantly claiming that we should be fearful of Americanization are the same ones who vilify a supposedly essentialization of minorities. Let me uh, 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 let me explain what I mean. The history of French culture since the days of the French Revolution is deeply entangled to that of the American history, right? It's a constant story of exchange, voyages, mutual conversation, mirroring each other. I'll give you my Lafayette and you give me your Ben Franklin and we're going to try to be both 
the kind of beacon of a hill on a, on a hill. We're going to be both uh, a perfect exemplar of universalism based on rights of man and so on and so forth. The greatest example of this is the 60s with uh, uh, the role played by the so-called French theory of an, of an un-American campus. You cannot hear or listen to France, to France culture without being fed with American culture, American writers, American uh, movie directors. I mean, that's part of this constant transatlantic conversation. But all of a sudden, there is such a thing as the Americanization of French culture as though there was an essence. There was something so immune to foreign influence that should be insulated from the, the bad guy from the other side of the Atlantic. And what's interesting is that these ideas being brought up each time we're dealing with minority recognition, right? So we are using the Americanization narrative to uh, counteract multiculturalism, minority rights, uh, uh, feminism, gay rights. These are supposedly the evils coming along with American culture. We are fine with Amazon. We are fine with Starbucks. We are fine with Netflix. Give us more Netflix, right? But as, as, so long as it doesn't come with some, you know, recognition of, of, of the reality of Islamophobia, so long as Me Too don't come uh, inside one of these packages that we're importing, we are fine. And so there's something deeply disingenuous here. The country that is probably the most American culture consuming is the one that has the pretense to resist such culture with French Republic, French Republicanism, French universalism, and French identity, right? So everything is, is deeply weaponized so that a form of right-wing policy, although, although there's a lot of things to say about leftists, not leftists, let's say uh, left of center, uh, 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 politicians with that regard. So, so, so that's part of the I love you, I hate you kind of narrative, but it has been deeply politicized over the recent period. So in the same way that the critical race theory phenomenon kind of mirrors that in the U.S., is there also an importation maybe of the way that each country is fighting against critical race theory? Is there a mirroring of the backlash against critical race theory between France and the U.S.? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, nothing ca captures more uh, um, the dual phenomenon than the usage of the word woke or wokeness, or in France, wokeism, which is, which is you know, here again, uh, it's, it, it's a perfect example of, of the French obnoxiousness. So it's not enough to import the, the, the woke or wokeness silliness, but we want to franchise, to, to franchise it. And, and so to franchise it implies inventing an English speaking or an English sounding neologism 
which is wokeism, which uh, I, I assume you've never heard about, uh, except in a French context, because it simply doesn't exist. So um, what's annoying, I would, I would have to, 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 to confess, is that very little do people know what they're talking about. They don't even know what woke is. Um, they don't even know what critical race theory is, for that matter. But it's a shorthand for anything progressive. It's a shorthand for anything that Americans do to atone for the deeply Americanness of racism, sexism, uh, heteropatriarchy, all of the things that France don't know about. We've never, we've never had anything to do with that. But these evil concepts are sneaking through, we are told, on American campuses. And what's interesting, I have to come full disclosure here, is that in one of Le Figaro, the, the, the right-wing newspaper in France, uh, in one of their articles claiming that something as wokeism was gaining momentum, uh, a nefarious momentum on French campuses, they named the American campus of Sciences Po as the hotbed of wokeism, which happens to be where I teach. So I was, I was kind of hoping that my name would pop up, but I'm not famous enough, um, although the far right knows my name and don't really like me. But just to tell you that, that, that there is this idea of, of an underground ideology that is sapping the, the, the mind of our youth, uh, uh, instillating in their mind the idea that they should be guilty of being white, that they should be guilty of being men, that they should be guilty for colonialism, slavery, sexism. And that is a kind of, of, of negative ideology. It used to be the case that uh, uh, McCarthyism or anti-communism would, would basically develop such kind of tropes. But now the nefarious ideology come from American campuses. Uh, where supposedly leftists and, and students of color and gay uh, uh, people would, would, would instill such, such uh, debilitating ideas uh, and that would be highly popular. So we could see many uh, echoes, uh, but what's once again uh, baffling is that those in France, the conservatives who argue such things, have absolutely no basis, uh, uh, no empirical evidence of what they're saying, except what they've read under the pen of the John McBrothers or under the pen of the Marklilas. So they are fed by American conservatism and they simply translate to the French situation, although they are the same one to say that France and the United States are two different beasts that, that they have nothing in common, except that they're uh, 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 parroting what, they're, what they hear Tucker Carlson uh, uh, pretending all day long. So, so that's the kind of annoying thing once again. And uh, as a historian, we are wondering whether this 
backlash against critical race theory in France is a recent phenomenon or if something similar already happened in the past? Well, as I, I, as I chronicle in my book, the very notion of the white backlash is baked into uh, African-American history. Each time there has been a significant form of progress, minor key, uh, that is an improvement in the, in the living condition of Black Americans, there have been uh, uh, an attempt to roll back the progresses, to roll back the achievements. We've, we've seen that after Reconstruction. We've seen that with the election of Richard Nixon uh, right uh, in the wake of the civil rights movement, uh, undeniably the anti-politically correct, which is an interesting precedent we want to pay attention to in the 90s, Probably in the aftermath of Bill Clinton's election, although he's very much responsible for the spreading of this ideology. And now, undeniably, there's no way we can analyze Donald Trump's election except with a deep analysis of the reaction that Obama's election unleashed among uh, uh, some conservative white Americans, right? So the entire construction of American heartland. Uh, American middle class, uh, American working man, all these are signifiers of a form of white self-righteousness that had been encroached by uh, 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 activists, civil rights advocates, and the first uh, utterance of the idea of reverse discrimination occurred really during Reconstruction, whereas white Southerners claimed that the distributions of land were tantamount to reverse discrimination. And this term, as you know, as legal students or legal grown-ups, the idea of of reverse discrimination also has a legal history, right? It could be claimed on the ground that there's a prejudice attached to the idea that, for instance, if you don't get into college, it's because perhaps uh, uh, um, Abigail Fisher versus University of Texas, you've been unfairly discriminated against by virtue of you being uh, white. So all of this uh, 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 participate to the idea that a form of self-righteous white entitlement is being questioned. And, and this is very much problematic because had we been in a time of perfect racial equality, we could make the case that in some instances, lower class whites might be discriminated against, say, against an upper middle class black. That, that we could hear, we could hear that. There, there might be some ground to this. But given the reality, the empirical reality of the discrepancy of opportunities and achievements depending on, on the color of your skin, it's simply nothing else than ideology. And I was listening this morning to John McWhorter, which I mentioned. Uh, He just published a piece called uh, uh, Woke Racism. He's Black, as you know. He's a Black conservative. And and he really belongs to this school of thoughts, the Sowells, the Karen's Thomas, and all that jazz. All these Black conservatives who argue that there is a fetishization of Black victimhood that is highly problematic because it fails Black Americans. 
And so they oppose CRT, they oppose so-called wokeness on the ground that it's deeper ingrained the notion of being a victim in the minds of black kids. Uh, as though there was no such things as white supremacy or, or institutional racism or all the things that are so documented that it's even, you know, uh, um, excruciating to have to say to those people, well, open a book. Structural racism exists. Those who are discriminated happen to be women and people of color. End of story. There's no denying that. So, so I don't know whether I answer your question, but I, I try to uh, uh, substantiate the many instances in which critical race the theory, just as the woke ideology became a uh, um, trope in the conservative uh, narrative. I want to switch gears a little bit and just talk about um, education as a battleground for critical race theory. In the U.S., just I think it was yesterday, um, there's a state senator in Texas who put out a list of 850 books talking about race, talking about critical gender, in his view, um, that he believes should be banned from um, all public schools in the state of Texas. I guess this is a two-part question. First, is education kind of emerging as a battleground in France for critical race theory? And then to what extent are you concerned or have you seen an attempt to censor things in the educational field um, as a result of this critical race debate? Well, I think undeniably, arguably, American schools are really the site of the battlefield as far as critical race theory is concerned. Uh, for many reasons, the underfunding of public education in the U.S., uh, the, the the fact that the American school system lacks a federal oversight, so each state, depending on the color of the governor and the, and the local senate, has a different curriculum. Uh, the fact that uh, school members are elected, so everything is highly politicized. And last but last not the least, uh, the fact that most American schools suffered from 18 months of schools being closed due to COVID, exacerbated parents who had to become teachers themselves, so who had to have a say into how and what their kids were learning. Uh, and, and a final note to just contextualize the, the American premium on, on school is the indecent, amazingly high cost of college education in the US. So having a good high school education is quite oftentimes a matter of life and death, depending on where your kids are being taught. So undeniably, uh, critical race theory took a very, the, the, the battle against critical race theory was weaponized to the point where it met the very long-standing anti-intellectualism tradition in the United States, as though a book could be that powerful. I think it's somehow it's an homage to the books. Books could be so dangerous, right? That you want you want to stay clear from some of them. Uh, there's there's a podcast that I love about that's an African American anchor presenting black books, and he opens with this line from one of the characters of The Wire, 
and the character says, do you know what is uh, the most dangerous thing in America? A black man with a library card. And I would say that that the idea that you should uh, um, simply ban some books speaks to two things. The first thing is the anti-intellectualism that both France and the U.S. are sharing, although France has a lot of pretension as far as being the country of the Enlightenment, the country of culture, the country of les intellectuels, right? And, and they love to, to, to claim that there is no such thing as a public intellectual in the United States, which is highly incorrect, but that's, that's how the thing is framed. And the second thing, which I think is very important, is the control of knowledge production. If you look at those books, you'll notice that a lot of these theories, uh, uh, assertion, uh, uh, analysis that are deemed unpatriotic or dangerous for kids are being produced by people of color. Uh, female scholars, indigenous people, or anti-racist white leftist scholar. And there's an attempt here to regain control of the question of knowledge production. production. Critical race theory is, is, is a perfect uh, 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 epitome of this. This is a theory produced by a scholar of color in the context of African-American dealing with the legal system. And it was aimed at redressing at least some of the legal studies or to highlight uh, legal scholars on the shortcomings of the constitution or the legal processes. And so the same thing, the same thing goes with the ban, for instance, of Toni Morrison's novels or of some of, of uh, what the 1619 project studies produced uh, led by Hannah Nicole Jones. Each time we are dealing with works that, that are the brainchild of people of color, women of color. And so the, the, the idea of knowledge production as a site of power undergirds the battle against that. And, and you, you, could feel, you could see the same thing going on in France each time you have an authoritative Black woman speaking. It doesn't occur often, as you might imagine. There's, there's immediately this kind of assumption that she, become, she comes from a place of activism, right? Uh, uh, each time you have an African-American, no, 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 a Black female intellectual in France, she's deemed um, biased, right? She, she supposedly speaks on behalf. She, she aims at representing someone. Therefore, she's not academically relevant. So the, the, the idea of knowledge production is very much at the center, I think, of the backlash. As far as France is concerned, uh, anti-CRT or anti-woke uh, ideology is mostly uh, focused on universities and, and, and the equivalent of colleges, right? What's going on, what's unfolding in high school education uh, pertains to uh, Islamism. Uh, Islamophobia, uh, the caricature, the republic, and the sacrosanct laicite, which is our craziness, which is our kind of, of the fact that we are 
so tightly that we we cling so tightly on the notion that our laicity is being under attacked, that our universalism is being imperiled, that, that it, it is hard not to hear echoes of what's going on in the United States. And, and, and likewise, uh, you have plenty of scholars who worked on Islamophobia in France, but the very term Islamophobia is being banned by mainstream uh, journalists and commentators as though it speaks uh, ideology, it speaks wokeism, it speaks Americanness. See how, how sick that is? And to end this wonderful conversation with you, how do you see the French society evolving in so far as coming to terms with race? And do you think these Republican ideals that we speak so often about egalitarianism, freedom and fraternity, do you think they will change? Will they come to life in order to create a truly equal society? There is a line from an activist which I stole because I think this is so powerful. She is an African-American activist for racial justice, and she says, hope is a discipline. So I would totally go with that line. I'm all in with that line. Hope is not a matter of being a realist. It's a matter of, of, of discipline. And if you want to do politics, you have to be disciplined. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kendall Thomas. I am Flores Forbes. And this is CRT2, Columbia Race Talks, Critical Race Theory. <laughs>